This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Now, whether it's the budget-friendly Solo or the 4K Tacticam 5.0, Tacticam has something for all levels of self-filmers. They even give you the ability to capture the shot through your scope for you rifle and crossbow guys, or maybe for your kids. I know my daughter's going to be going out on her first hunt this year, and uh, she's going to be using a rifle. And uh, they, they have a film-through-scope system um, that allows you to capture that shot with a Tacticam and, you know, you'll get to see it right through, magnified through the scope, whatever you're seeing. Um, so you definitely check those, them out at uh, Tacticam.com. Got to give a shout-out to our newest Patreon, Brian Britsky. Um, hope I'm saying that right, Brian. He's from Rhode Island. And this is the second guy that's uh, reached out to us through Patreon. You know, he's he's found the show, he's following us, and uh, he's decided to, you know, support us through Patreon, which is basically a crowdfunded um, thing for creators. So it's if you want to support financially uh, through some way or another, Patreon's basically the best way to do that, and they've set up a platform totally uh, allowing that to happen. But this guy isn't on social media. He's not a big social media guy. So, I mean, the power of podcasts and things like this are just amazing. Uh, you know, we're reaching people that, you know, we normally wouldn't just through the normal avenue. So I want to thank you so much, Brian. And you are entered in now to our quarterly giveaway. And you picked a great time because we're going to be doing this giveaway. Um, the second quarter comes to an end at the end of June. And we're giving away a Traeger pellet grill. So I wanted to do that because as the the quarter falls, it's going to fall right before the 4th of July. So I'm actually going to pull the winner for this next week, the end of next week. Um, so probably the 
25th uh, or so uh, in hopes that I can get that grill ordered, shipped to you, and you'll have it in time for your 4th of July cookout um, because that's what I would want if I was the winner. It would be one of those things where it'd be super cool. You know, it might, it still might not show up in time, but uh, we're going to do everything that we can. So uh, if you guys are interested in our giveaways, uh, you know, we do quarterly giveaways for our patrons and we were just pulling one, but we've got so much stuff that we're giving away. We're pulling um, multiple winners. So the big gift, big, big prize is the Traeger 575 uh, Pro Pellet Grill with the wireless technology. We're also giving away to someone else a Tacticam solo camera package. Like I just uh, outlined, you know, it'll mount right to your riser, um, to your stabilizer, and you'll be able to, um, you know, film your hunt that way. Uh, base map is giving us a pro membership along with a swag pack. It's like a shirt and a hat and all that stuff. And um, so if you're interested in that, uh, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash bowhunter chronicles. And like I said, we're pulling a, a winner within the next week to 10 days. Uh, so it's going to be before the July 1st deadline. Um, and like I said, I'm going to do that just because, you know, I appreciate everybody that that does support us. And right now, um, you know, excluding like my family that supports us, uh, there's 50 people. So, um, you basically got a one in 50 chance. It's a bit better than one in 50 because there's 51 or 52. So you have better than a one in 50 chance of, of winning something. Oh, but that, that pellet grill is going to be the way, the way to go. Um, and then there's another thing that I'm involved in uh, just recently, just started up this week, which is the Vitals Live learning session. So I wanted to put this out there. Um, basically, it's live seminars from some of the biggest names from our style of hunting. Um, and these seminars are given live uh, through a Zoom platform, uh, Q&A, uh, viewer participation. Um, these are video. Uh, so it's kind of like a video podcast, but you're in the room and you get to ask questions and you're present, um, and watching the whole thing. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a paid subscription per month thing, but there's multiple seminars every week and they're videoed. Um, and basically all I'm doing is they just reached out to me and said, you are not an expert at anything. However, you can talk. So can you moderate some of these guys? So we've done two so far with John Eberhart and uh, we'll be doing a strictly Q and a session with him on June 28th. Um, and so that's a Sunday. Um, but next week, this week, um, that'll be coming up the week of, uh, the, the 20th or so the, the early twenties in June, um, is going to be Dan Infall. So there's going to be a scouting seminar, with Dan Infault, and then there's going to be uh, any topic Q&A, ask him whatever you want with uh, with Dan Infault. Um, so there's going to be two with Dan Infault next week. I won't be moderating those. Those are going to be moderated by Dan's good friend, Mario Traficante, and a great hunter in his own right, so he'll be able to impart his knowledge as well. Um, and then there's they're also doing startup showcases. So Next week's showcase is going to be Austin Cantola from Genesis 3D Printing. So he's making uh, all the 3D printed bow hangers, um, stick hangers, um, stick quiver type products. Um, and so he's going to kind of get on there and it's going to be a video, you know, where you can ask any questions about anything um, that he's doing there. And then 
towards the end of June into July. Uh, we're going to have the DIY sportsman Garrett Prawl um, going over a bunch of different topics as well as Q&A. And then the rest of July will be filled with more of Dan, John, and Garrett. And uh, there's some other hunters um, that are on the hook, um, but I just I don't have all the details, so I don't want to put their names out there just so that it's – but um, it's really something – it's cool. I mean, it, it's really cool. If you guys like podcasts and, you know, you one of the cool things about podcasts is you think that you're in the room – and then now this gives you the opportunity to have that same experience, but be able to ask questions. And I mean, if you've ever looked into going to uh, one of Dan's seminars or one of John's seminars, I mean, the cost on those is, you know, it, it can be a lot and that's without the travel to get there. Um, so you're able to have kind of a, a very similar access, um, you know, to ask these guys questions all from the comfort of your own home. So uh, that's pretty cool. And, and for our patrons, we're going to be doing um, a monthly giveaway um, rather than a quarterly giveaway uh, and one of the subscriptions to the Vitals Live. Um, so we're going to give that to one of our patrons um, to be able to go in and check that out. Some of our patrons are already in there. I've already seen them and uh, had some good feedback from them on that. So that's just something else to check out. And you can check that out on thevitalslive.com. Like I said, I'm moderating that so um I, I just wanted to put that out there that it's a really cool um product that's uh that's out there I'm, I'm, i think it's pretty cool so uh today's episode is pretty awesome as well you want to talk about a motivating guy uh tim Boonam. you know i've been following this guy for a couple of years on social media and uh i mean you want to talk about the guy that's living the dream you know he was a hunter fisher his whole life uh kind of gave it up went you know, rode BMX professionally, um, caught a, a catfish, boom, he's right back into the outdoors and uh, goes from upstate New York, packs up and moves to Montana. And uh, he and his roommate set a goal of, of collecting 100 sheds this this season. And uh, they got 137 sheds. Um, just seriously living the best life out in Montana. And Tim's a great guy. It's a great conversation. I know you guys are going to love this episode. So uh, with that, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the episode. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Adam and John back with another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. And, you know, it, we're going to talk a little bit of uh, shed hunting, summer scouting, uh, stuff uh, with a guy that I, I've, I've been talking to through social media for a couple of years now, probably um, since one of our first probably 10 episodes. Um, I know we had had uh, Greg Litzinger on and uh, then my buddy Kyle, who was, uh, we were talking some train to hunt and uh, Litzinger had mentioned um, our guest's name and he's like, you got to have him on. And so I've just been kind of going, going back and forth. And uh, uh, I've, I've heard him on a, a, at least one other podcast, um, Tim Bunau. Um He's a East coast guy. Now he's transplanted into to Montana. Uh, he's made the jump that we all dream of. And, you know, he's, he's, he's headed out there to the, the great wide open. Um, so how are you doing tonight, Tim? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, it's actually kind of a chilly night here. It's like 70 degrees, but yeah, can't complain. I'm 
60 or actually 59 days away from uh um starting to hunt so life's good living in montana not new york (laughs) (laughs) so let's let's hear a a little bit of your story how you you started hunting and and kind of how you got into it and then you got out of it for a little while and and kind of got a little bit more serious into it um how'd that all go yeah well uh i'm 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 from upstate New York, uh, upstate PA. I actually lived right on the border. Um, for the most part of my younger days, whatever I guess you'd say, and during the summertime, I would, uh, and during the weekdays, my mother would uh, ship me off to uh, one of her friends' farm, basically. And I worked, um, you know, 4 a.m. as a eight-year-old, getting up, milking cows. And as soon as our chores were done, he'd let us loose with a 22, and we'd go kick off woodchucks all day long or squirrels or, you know, basically what kids do back then, of course, you know, when it was acceptable, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, I got, I really got into the hunting, uh, you know, kind of through them. Uh, and I kind of branched off on my own. I spent a lot of time, um, during high school, instead of going to parties and stuff, I actually would go to the local blockbuster and went, uh, Eastman's journal and you know, those videos and uh, Realtree. And I mean, Eastman's Journal back then, elk were just a mystical creature uh, for a you know small town in PA, and you know the do-it-yourselfer wasn't really um, wasn't really even existent back then. But uh, yeah, it was uh, shortly into into high school, I moved in with my father, uh, basically 45 minutes away into upstate New York, where. That's where I took my hiatus for a little bit. I was introduced into uh, the BMX world. Um, I fell in love with that one. And I basically spent the next 13 years after uh, my senior year uh, riding BMX. It took me to Louisville, Kentucky. I rode for a clothing company down there. I traveled all over, you know, mainly all over the East Coast and really never made it west too much, uh, you know, traveling, uh, riding, going to different cities, meeting some uh some BMX legends, uh, like the late, uh, Dave Mira got to sit back and drink some forties and listen to some stories there. Uh, I got to meet, uh, Matt Hoffman. I uh, actually went to dinner with him and a bunch of other guys. So, you know, that part of my life was, uh, was a little bit different from what we're doing now. But, uh, um, it was actually a chance, uh, fishing trip. I had, I, I never even touched a fishing pole in that 13 years. And, uh, one of the guys from actually from Alabama, he was in town and, uh, said, you know, let's go fishing. I don't think either of us had a license either. So we went down to the Ohio and, um, first cast, I landed a like 65 pound blue cat. Um, and that was it. That, I mean, that was kind of the, uh, the, the rekindling of the spark. And I mean, it was like a, a light switch. I, I kind of really stopped, you know, riding. Uh, I, I made the move back to New York uh, within a year and, uh, I, I dove right into hunting, you know, head on. And I think I was in New York for seven years when I, I finally made the, uh, the decision and, um, kind of, I'd ask myself, uh, you know, give myself three reasons why not to make the move to Montana and, uh, I, I didn't have a single legit reason, you know, other than the fact that my, uh, you know, my family's there, but, um, 
but yeah, I, I had to do it for myself. And uh, it was within a month of me making that decision, I was um, stepping foot in Montana. <laughs> That's crazy. Now, when you moved, uh, I told you when I uh, it was texting you that I was going to throw you some curveballs. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you won't get this reference, but maybe some of our listeners will. But I got a good feeling. Uh, so when you were going back and forth from those Eastman's uh, hunting journals in the in the real tree, did it switch over to the the rad racing once you went over to your to your dad's? Oh, crew Jones all the way. <laughs> I was I was going to ask you if you were more of a, a Bart Taylor, Rod and Rex, or or maybe you were like Hollywood Mike Miranda. I mean, what was more your style? Oh God, Hollywood Mike Miranda. That's like throwback right there. <laughs> wow. I haven't heard that in years. Team Hutch, right? Yeah. Yeah, Team Hutch. All the way. Um Yeah, I mean that actually when I was at my father's that was kind of a difficult time. Um it was getting tossed back and forth from what I've been doing for the past, you know, for you know, my younger days of constantly living in the woods and all that kind of stuff and then introducing to this new um, sport, you know, where I was in, in Pennsylvania, uh, there was racing, but all these guys were, there's trails, you know, these guys are hand digging some massive trails. And then at night they're, you know, they're going on street missions and, uh, going to skate parks on the weekends and stuff like that. And, uh, so it, that started taking a lot of my time and that's what, you know, ended up getting me out of the woods a little bit more. Plus a lot of it too, you know, might've been a little bit of peer, uh, pressure on that one you know i didn't have anybody to hunt with then you know at my father's my father isn't a real hunter so you know i might you know the, the kids i've met there you know being new to the school were all being extra so it kind of fit in you know that and that you know, i you know i just fell in love with it and I, I became pretty decent at it pretty good pretty good at uh at talking and rolling too <laughs> john john had a little stint with some bmx racing as in his childhood oh i keep pointing it's over here to a, a bmx trophy on the wall <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah we there was there was three boys uh in my family and uh that was our you know it was go to the rent a movie and there was three boys and my two brothers always rented rad racing every single time and i think it was just to spite me because i was like can't we watch something else ever and there was two of them so there's two-thirds of the time we rented movies it was always rad racing so i can i can talk to you all about hell track and the whole the whole works yeah, ass sliding you know <laughs> man I, I, there's one thing that i do wish i could have done uh back when i was riding i wish i could have found the cereal bowl right the bowl there I, I would have loved just to pop in there and pop out just once. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, do a backflip out of it, right? Like Kujo. Yeah, I mean, I, the attempt would have been there, but whether it had been landed as smooth as crew, I don't know. Probably <laughs> not. You over rotated. No shit. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, a little tangent there, but you know, I thought I'd, I thought I'd throw that in there for a little nostalgia. Uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Um, Enjoy that. One of the uh, one of the things when I heard you on the other podcast, and this was like kind of when we, uh, you know, we were first starting out. And we, you know, for me, I grew up with you know a big chunk of, of private land a long ways away, and I always thought public was like a less than thing. 
And I think I have messaged you back and forth about this, and I think the listeners have heard it. But you know, for me, you know, you you said your take on on public land, um, and it was like pretty much the opposite, like where you were able to go out and you know there was all this land to to use. Um, so you know, with you, what's you, your philosophy and everything on like public lands? Because I thought you know, I mean, what you had said it was like spoke to me because I always thought of it as like a, like I say, like, Oh, you don't have property to hunt. So, you know, you have to hunt in public. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, I, when I, when I was younger, I mean, that, uh, that farm was, um, you know, was private is a huge, absolutely huge chunk of uh, uh, private land. Um, and I remember being, you know, younger and almost, you know, scoffed at people that hunted public and like the stigma of, you know, people hunting public was like, um, it's dangerous over there. You know, there's people everywhere and this and that. And, um, you know what? It's, I, 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 I enjoy the challenge of it now. I guess, you know, maybe, um, views have changed, especially for me being out here. Um, you know, the, the ability to have all this public land that you're dispersed is, um, it's amazing. I don't know why people, you know, wouldn't want to take advantage of it. Um, it just opens up so many opportunities and it also helps. I think, you know, it, it helped me as a, you know, a hunter, uh, especially, especially in the, uh, oh, how you want to say it? Like, um, quick decision game. Like your plans can get messed up so quickly, you know, just by one person. So you have to kind of be on your toe, toes a little bit there. Okay. Like, I guess what being in upstate New York, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, and we've talked extensively with uh, Litzinger and we've got some um, friends and Patreons and stuff that are over in the New York area, but like, and we know, PA is super heavily hunted, but what's the public land like in, in upstate New York and what's the, the hunting pressure? Because I mean, again, with podcasts and more, um, I guess, you know, information being out there and now with Onyx and all this other stuff, um, we're seeing more and more people, but New York isn't one of those States where I think of as like being a big hunting state. Yeah. I mean, first speaking of, Strictly bow hunting, um, I probably went two, maybe three years of maybe running into like having to change my, you know, my game up a little bit, um, you know, a handful of times. Um, mainly, you know, I never really bumped into anybody in the woods, but mainly parking lots and stuff like that. Now, gun season, on the other hand, yeah, I mean, it's, that's kind of another reason why I even stopped, uh, you know, gun hunting. It's just, uh, you know, nobody hunts, uh, opening day. It's just straight, get out the vehicle, drop your kit, you know, drop these people up here. We're going around here and we're driving, you know, we're going to push this wood. We're going to push these woods and this and that. Um, but I mean, as, as far as bow hunting, um, you can easily outwork people. And I would, I would assume, you know, just within that year and a half. Uh, of being gone, um, not much has changed in that, you know, my location. And I, I was up, upstate, uh, kind of by Syracuse area, up and around there, over by the Catskills. And, you know, it's, um, 
you know, as far as the pressure wise uh, for bow season, you can easily work around it. And again, um, a lot of people don't want to work, even with the knowledge that's out there, you still kind of see, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still um, a, a very active member on uh, the hunting beast. And um, you see people all gung ho until the work starts and then uh, they kind of just fall off. And that was so going to be I, my, my, my follow-up question to that was, do you think it's because you're hunting spots that like suck to get into or that are, you know, oh, kind of that next level, or is it just because there's not that many hunters or that, you know, you're not seeing that many bow hunters? Well, I mean, like, you know, obviously the rut, you know, you see people out there, but, uh, you know, the first in last out, uh, kind of thing, like I, there's a couple of times, you know, I'm, um, so my sets were, you know, almost parking lot sets. You could hear, you know, I was already in, I was already set up in the tree. Um, you could hear people driving in, getting out. And then while, you know, it's 10 o'clock on November, you know, November 11th, 10 o'clock in the morning, beautiful morning. And all of a sudden that same vehicle that you heard come in after you, you know, shut the door, start the truck up, rip out of there. You know, it's like, you know, that kind. And you know, if it's, if it's 70 degrees out in October, middle of October, you know, beginning of October, it's too warm. You aren't going to move, you know, this and that, you know, excuses kind of on it. But, you know, then again, too, some areas, I, I gauge my areas, um, by my own suffering. <laughs> if, if I, if I get into an area and I'm like, what the hell did I just do to myself or what the hell am I getting myself into? I probably need to be back in there. You know, and, and I, that's going to be everybody's own personal gauge. And I think that's actually, you know, as I've done it more and more, I've pushed myself in, into farther and deeper spots too. You know, like, well, you know, I've done worse than this. You know, I can go back a little bit farther the next time, you know, it's like, well, you know, this is going to suck. My feet are going to be wet for the next four hours, you know, evening, but you know what? It's only four hours. I'm not out here for a whole entire night. You know, I know how to get back to the vehicle, deal with it. Me and John are both looking at each other laughing because we've told the story a million times about John in the spot where it's going to, it's going to kill him. Yeah. And then the spot, you know, where I go, like I can't go in there. I've, I've, I've went over my boots every single time I go in there and I've went in there with hip boots and went over those too. Cause I just got too cocky and it's like, that's exactly where I'm like, I need, I know that there's good deer back yep. here. I just know that there is, but it's, it's a terrible spot like to, to access, but I've never seen anybody near there. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's you know, right there. It tells you, you know, that's probably where I should be, but I actually have, um, one, he's a, he's a, um, a friend now. He was a friend before back in high school, but you know, we didn't really talk to each other for a while, but anyways, he started hunting and, um, you know, he was asking questions and this and that. And, um, it got to a point where I'm like, you know, I started, kind of like just check this area out check this area out anyways long story short he uh, he had found an area that i was you know i was in and he's like yeah i think i'm gonna go back up in there and this and that i'm like man i you know i, I kind of pointed you in all these directions i'm kind of you know there's a deer back there you know i'm, I'm trying to you know get on and learn a little bit more you know be you know uh, respectful towards each other you know and he's like yeah, i think i'm gonna go back in there and this and that you know this public land and blah 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 i'm like, I'm like whatever you know we didn't really like Get into a, you know an argument argument about it, it just kind of just over you know uh, 
texting, uh, you know, battle kind of a deal. But it was, I don't know, maybe a week or two later, he's like, he's like, yeah, you can have that spot. I'm not going up in there. <laughs> you know, like he, he got there and, you know, he's just like, yeah, I'm not climbing that hill. So. I mean, John, have you run into that with the guys that you talk to? Like your your buddy Jason there and in that because I know that you know with with Frank and you know Chris and you know my brothers when I say this is where I'm going they're like you can have it so. yeah <laughs> yeah well my buddy Jason I mean he's he used to do all that and now it's now he's to the point where like I'm just gonna hang five stands and I'm just gonna walk back and hunt those five stands and. <laughs> I'm like, well, dude, then you're, you know, you're going to see, you know, you're, you got a good area, but you're going to watch the bucks walk underneath the other stand that you're not sitting in. And there's a reason for that because they know you're not in that one. You're over there in this other one. So, but yeah. Pattern. Yep. And so for you, Tim, what, I mean, for the listener, uh, what is your style of, of hunting? I mean, are you, uh, a, you know, when we talk to, you know, Greg Litzinger, he says, I'm a terrible rut hunter. Um, you know, this is, these are the dates that I like to hunt. This is, you know, this is when I usually, uh, get it done or, you know, are you just strictly a bed hunter and you're trying to kill them, you know, first sit, I, first time, you know, I mean, what's your, what's your philosophy? I, I think I've had my best encounters now, you know, I've, when I started hunting again, um, I think this would be my ninth year back. Um, my first two years, I was, you know, not hunting for a while, being away from everything. I immediately picked up magazines and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was automatically, you know, I, I, six or seven stand, comfort zone stands, you know, spread all over, you know, this and that. That's when I found the beast and that's when I got into, uh, you know, the bed hunting. So, um, I really picked up on that. Uh, I really started focusing on the bed hunting, uh, as far as the rut, um, upstate New York, I mean, the, where I was, the deer density is so low, you know, it's, uh, it's almost like watching, you know, grass grow sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, it was, you, you could, you could have a whole entire, you know, four or five does out in front of you for two days straight and. You know, you might see the same little dink come by two or three times, get kicked out of there. But um, anyways, you know, I, I picked up on the bed hunting and um, I think there's a time and place for every single tactic. Obviously, real hunting, you know, pretty much pretty much your funnels, you know, you sit your doe bedding. But everything prior to that, you know, it's it's all situational. But if you really break it down to me, they do, you know, you know, two things. They eat. And they, you know, sleep. They I get they I get from point A to point B. It's just a matter of figuring out which ones and which. And so I mean, as far as the deer, it's more. I guess you say just whatever. I'm situational. Situational. Man, as a podcast listener, I can I can just tell you that that's like the worst thing to hear. You know, because you're like. Uh, man, uh, <laughs> you know, like it's like, like I know, I know, but this is the situation. Like, right, what's the situation? What's the good situation? Like, <laughs> and the... and you're not the only one. So I'm not. It's not like I'm I'm dogging on you because I mean, it doesn't matter if it's 
you know, John Eberhardt, Dan Infault, anybody, they ask, like, well, it's just, you know, situational. It's right. like, well, how the fuck do you know what hot sign is? How do you know? Like, you go out and figure <laughs> yeah, it out. Like, you got to put your time in. It's situational. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I, I know. And um, uh, I, I, I was that person to it one point in time when I was, you know, I first found Dan and, you know, listening to these guys, you know, like Andy May and uh, Joe Elsinger, you know, like reading these guys talk and this and that. And like, you got to set up on this. I'm like, well, how do you know? <laughs> you, know like, what, you know, what is that? You know, it's just, it's just keeping all those, you know, what those guys say, you know, even through podcasts, you know, what people say and um, in the back of your mind. And then all of a sudden when you see it in front of you, you're like, holy shit, that's what he's talking about. You know, then it's kind of, then it starts the toss though, you know, even more um, you know, dilemma in your head. Like, well, do I continue on what I was doing or do I set up now? You know, like what is over here, but I want to be over there, you know. But so, yeah, I, I, you know, sorry, but yeah, it's for me, it's situational. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I totally get it. And when you're talking about your little text battle with your buddy there, you know, for me now, because uh, like when I look at spots now, I try to, for for the most part, and it's, it's kind of wrong. I'm trying to learn new areas. So I'm trying to pick areas that I haven't been and just put a spot on a map that I think would look good and then go in there. And then it's a lot easier to have that aha moment, but then you mm-hmm. still have to like, I guess you have to have the restraint or the, the understanding to know like what you're getting yourself into because, you know, you might be, let's say, 70 yards or a hundred yards off of like where that point is that you put on the map and you run into some really good side and you're like, but I wanted to be over there. And then it's like, should I go? Should I stay? Should I? But I mean, I think that that's one of those things that's, um, you know, somewhat reassuring. It's like, you know, I thought that there would be something here and then you walk in and you're kind of finding, you know, the sign or, or, or something promising. Yeah. Um, uh, God, there's nothing better than, uh, you know, cyber scouting a new spot um dropping a pin and then being like feet away from a bed you know where that pin drops you're like i knew it i'm on to it you know i got this <laughs> and then you then then you be completely humbled when you set up on it and nothing <laughs> right exactly <laughs> it was you know it's a different season bed it's early season and it's late season or it's late season right. and it's early season um and so with that cyber scouting and and that how did that transition go from all right so you're in upstate new york you say all right i can't find a reason why i shouldn't go to montana now you're in montana where do you hunt or how did you go about yeah where do you start now (laughs) i mean it's there's a lot of public land out there and (laughs) and and you know proximally to 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 where you're at you know there's a lot of people that like to spend time in the woods so (laughs) how did that go well um I guess, you know, right when I got here, it was kind of like the same, you know, I, I, I just started marking spots and then um, started driving to them. And the thing with Montana is you're going to drive. You're going to drive a lot. Um, I think this year I, it was, what was it? I think my, I actually remember to look. Um, it was a couple of weeks after I just purchased, or I just purchased a vehicle a year ago. And it was a couple of weeks after the, the year anniversary, I looked and I'd put on a little over like 37,000 miles um, 
just in driving. Now, of course, I work. Um, and doing the math on that one, that was about 5,000 miles of driving, you know, working. But I, I, I don't really have much of a, um, you know, a social life. And that's kind of by design because I want to get to know these areas, but I want to get, I want to buck the curve out here. And, um, it, that's, and plus I, I, I just love being outside anyways, you know, whether it's, if it's 10 degrees out, I'm bundle up, go, you know, like, nose might be cold but that's about it but you know just just driving just going and then it was kind of like uh you start to relate stuff um you know as you're driving it's it's vast it's open country you know like i said you're driving for two hours you got nothing to do but look so as you're driving all of a sudden you're starting to you know realize that every time i see you know something like this you know there's deer over there and then kind of you know correlating everything like that because it is completely different from New York State. New York State, you know, you're looking for uh, leeward, you know, leeward ridges, uh, the points and all that. It, here, it's flat country, um, you know, for the most part, or for the river bottoms and everything, uh, if, we're, if we're talking about whitetail. Now, um, I do have uh, some interest in going to northwest Montana. Now, northwest Montana has, uh, um, if, if you're a numbers guy, uh Northwest puts out more uh, Boone and Crockett's in the state, you know, per year than any other, you know, part in it. The problem is it's grizz country, it's cougar country, it's wolf country, and it is mountain country. Um, the deer numbers are lower, but, you know, numbers don't lie on that one. They're there. And, um, you know, so using those, um, you know, those tactics from back in New York up there, you know, I, I really want to do that, but as far as learning back here, um, or learning again, uh, here, it started out driving, just driving around and relating everything to where everything was. And then from there, it was kind of just diving in. The thing is though, um, white-tailed, they're not afraid to be in the open here, but they still need cover. They want cover around, uh, you know, whether that's tall grass, uh, you know, some coolies. Uh, you know, or river bottom. So that's kind of just like yeah. you have water source, you have a little bit of cover. It's kind of like everywhere else, there's going to be deer there. So, um, are you primarily hunting whitetail now? Or out there, are you going after antelope or elk? I mean, going after everything, or is it paint? Everything ma- but mule deer. Mule deer. Because you know, our, our deer, our deer tags are for uh, you know either deer, mm-hmm. um, and one of these days I'll get around and going out to mule deer. My uh, buddy John, who I did the shed hunting with, um, he went out and got a mule deer last year and, you know, up into an area. He saw some really, you know, some good ones. And I've seen a few good ones, uh, you know, drive around and everything. But um, I personally want to notch a couple um, bigger white tails first. Uh, you know, because I, I can't, I, I just can't get the white tail out of my blood either. That's kind of my issue too. But, yeah, antelope, elk, um, everything, everything I can possibly hunt, I guess. I, I just, actually, I started turkey on again this year. Um, I did a spot on stalk on one. It was a Jake, but I ended up, uh, you know, getting a 20 some, getting in 20, 24 yards, you know, smoked them. Um, bear next year, um, spring bear. I, I, again, you know, start doing that, you know, with the bow. So, so, so for, you know, uh, we're 
heading out elk hunting, but primarily, you know, we, we talk a lot of whitetail and a lot of whitetail strategies and things like that. Um, I guess we don't, our guests do, you don't want our tactics. Um, but for the, uh, for the whitetail out there, I mean, is it as big of a deal as it is, you know, in the Midwest or up in the, (laughs) you know, out East for you, or is it just another, well, I'm going to kind of have a side note on that. Like the, I'm going out to Montana for my hunt. I got the combo tag, so I have my elk tag, whitetail, mule deer, plus I have an antelope tag. Well, my buddy who lives in Bozeman, he's like, you know, the whitetails out here, like, the, everyone hates them. They're like goats. Or, you know, so is that the same in your area too? Yeah, so um, a, a gentleman, um, a, a guy told me once, um, you shoot the mule deer for the uh, the antlers, and you shoot the the, the white tail for the meat. Um, mule deer just grow bigger antlers, but yeah, it, it really um, it really doesn't seem like too many people paid much attention to the white tail. Um, uh, actually, uh, there's a guy uh, Trey Pottinger. He's uh, in Northwest uh, Idaho. I listened to a podcast. You know, he's been out here his whole entire life, and when he started bow hunting white tails. Um, uh, he had a guy tell him, you know, why would you bow hunt whitetails if you can shoot them with a rifle in the rut? And that, I think that's kind of the same main, you know, the mindset that a lot of people have around here. The open country, um, right. the rut, they're running wild, you know, around. You can road hunt here. Um, so they're, again, you know, appeases to the, you know, that demographic of hunters. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're kind of like, well, you know, I guess... We really need to put some meat in the freezer, you know, let's go drive down the road and, you know, you're going to see them. And, you know, I, I guarantee, you know, everybody's probably successful on that one. But yeah, they just don't. As far as, like, the bow hunter, too, from all my scouting that I've done um, and all the shed hunting I've done, uh, I've seen two stands out of, I, I can't, I couldn't even tell you how many pieces of public I've been in. <laughs> and I think it's, I, I think it's legal to leave stands up. Do you think that, I mean, is that the, the style, I guess, of, of hunting? I mean, you know, when we were in Idaho and they were talking about whitetails, everything was just kind of like, eh, spot and stock, maybe you'll probably see one, you could shoot one. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of talk of hanging stands or, or, or doing anything like that. And my brother goes to South Dakota and everything is spot and stock or ground hunting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of that too, like, um, you know, you talk about South Dakota, um, it's just the train, uh, not a whole lot of trees, not a lot, not a lot of trees to, to pick in even these river bottoms. Um, you know, some of the areas that you might want to set up on, you, you can't, and you know, unless you're using screwing, you know, pegs, uh, if you're trying to be a mobile hunter, um, the cottonwoods are, you know, as big as around as a, a beetle, a Volkswagen beetle there. You know, so getting a stand, you know, up it and down, you know, of course there's, you know, smaller trees and stuff like that, but, um, yeah, you just don't see it. You know, I, I, I saw someone, uh, from Montana post something about, uh, elk hunting, um, you know, what's the best, you know, ground blind or, uh, you know, a tree stand or what about these new saddles? And there were like 12 comments. What the hell is a saddle? (laughs) 
you know, meanwhile, in the white tail world, you know, it's, it's on fire. Uh, right. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's just the, the mindset, what, you know, how the, the guys are, you know, are brought up, raised, you know, if it's a generational thing that, you know, but, you know, white tail properties have just started getting over here, but their, you know, all their land is like primarily, uh, elk land. Okay. So I, I, I just don't know. I think it's just like, it's not really a priority. People, like you're saying, they can just go out and shoot them with a rifle if they want one. They're not going to put much right. effort in when they got elk to chase and or mule deer. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, that, you know, that goes to the, you know, a, a young mule deer, you know, it's uh, antlers. They're pretty much, you know, if you're going by score, you know, you're going to score higher than most whitetail. Right. Yeah, and so that's right. That was one of the things I wanted to ask you when you said you wanted to get a few good ones or you know bigger whitetails under your belt. What is that to you? You know what's what's um, big out there. So we we've seen a couple uh, you know, upper one uh, sixties uh, around here last year. Actually, uh, uh, there's a a field across my house in town that always has deer and always has you know does and bucks, and of course. Uh, rut came around and uh, some giant cage came out of nowhere. No idea where this deer came from. Um, was out in the field chasing does. So, you know, you, you know they're around. Uh, the sheds that we picked up this year, um, you know, there's a couple uh, singles, but if you, you know, gave a modest, you know, spread and, you know, not, don't go crazy with it and everything, you're still looking at your, you know, your 150s and stuff. Um, some of the trail camera photos that we got from last year, um, again, you know, showing the 150s and everything. Uh, so to me, that's kind of like, you know, what I'm going for, uh, coming from New York, you know, that's a, that's a once in a lifetime, you know, deer. I've never seen a 150s from the stand. So that's kind of like, you know, my personal goal. Some of the areas that uh, I've been into and talked to people, um, you know, uh, farmers and stuff like that, trying to get permission to shed hunt. I've seen some pictures of, you know, upper, you know, 180s and, you know, 190s. So they're there. But my, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not shooting for anything like that. I'm just shooting for something I would never see in New York, basically. Okay. Okay. So if that makes sense. Well, I mean, so you kind of just have your uh, almost like out of state hunt mindset without the don't eat a tag, right? So, I mean, a, a kind of like our thoughts when we went out of state was like we went out of state for a reason so i'm not going to shoot something that i could shoot in michigan you know right or like that would be you know as there's lots of bucks that i'd shoot in michigan that i won't shoot out of state and it's a one tag thing and you're out there for you know for a reason i guess um except on the last day of the hunt <laughs> That, you know, yeah, the, the last day. Well, John, John <laughs> you know, I, he doesn't I, he doesn't care that I didn't shoot. Like I don't know, uh, it's my story, so I can call it a a, a world class elk, this monster, uh, because I wasn't comfortable with the shot. But he will not let me live down this basket rack <laughs> eight point that I did not shoot. Because I tried to stalk in to, to twenty five yards. To twenty five yards. I got to thirty two, 
like it that was a <laughs> that was a you know toll archery challenge i'm like we're shooting that shot at 60 yards at one point when he was stalking down to it i'm telling i'm like i'm trying to whisper like get out of the way i'm gonna shoot him from right here it was 54 <laughs> yards where we had seen him where i'd spotted him at first he was laying down underneath like a deadfall it was like a perfect total archery challenge setup i'm like dude we've shot that before come on 12 ring him but then he got to 35 is what it was i'm like what what were you doing you you know you you just had to get down the lip i was trying to get to 25 i'm like what (laughs) come on (laughs) well we're seven he's like well we were seven miles back in and i didn't want to wound him I'm like, yeah, I understand you don't want to wound him, but who cares if you're, it's just, we could cut him in half and haul him out. I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's one of the, one of the things I will never live down. Never going to let down. No. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, he ate that tag. <laughs> but, you know, so you, we, we brought you on here to talk, you know, you, you had just posted up some pictures about, uh, you know, you and your, your roommate, John, um, getting what to me would be. Uh, uh, I guess putting out a, a crazy goal for yourself and saying that you are going to find a hundred sheds this season. And so for most people, I would say, A, that would be maybe a lifetime's worth of sheds. And then the people that are putting out those goals are in Iowa on these big leases or the Drury's or, you know, something like that. Um, and you guys did it primarily on public land, if I'm if I'm recalling. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, last year uh, when we got here, um, I think March, we um, actually my my buddy from Michigan, Jeremy, um, his him his girlfriend John and I, we went for basically our first shed hunt. We went um, you know uh, like two hours away to this piece and. You know, he's from Michigan. Jeremy's from Michigan. His girlfriend is from Michigan, and uh, you know, John's from Wisconsin, and I'm from New York. So, um, John's a little bit more familiar with you know, with antlers than what you know, the rest of us are, you know, from New York and Michigan. But uh, but he he's never really been into shed hunting. Um, and plus, I think too out there, uh, the competition between people and squirrels too out there is a lot, you know, a huge factor. Here, uh, that's not the uh, the case. But anyways, we um we go out to this piece, and um, I think we find sixteen, sixteen all in. Uh, I mean, maybe about an acre size square. You know, it was it was, it was a bedding area. Winter time, pretty. You know that actually we got hit with some pretty good snow um right about that time, so it probably you know forced them up by the food into that bedding area, and you know they're all dropped. So we, you know, shed hunted a little bit more last year and, uh, uh, it was coming up, uh, you know, in January there and we're talking about shed hunting and I kind of said, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to go nuts. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to go try for 50. And, uh, and John's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to do the same. And I'm like, you know what, let's, let's, let's just go for a hundred, you know, let's, let's try to find a hundred sheds. Um, John's, uh, John's very, uh, enthusiastic about that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, geez, uh, like I was saying, his his job allows him to uh, get out of work early sometimes. And that. So if he buys something, he was out every single night. You know, it was like, a, you know, as soon as uh, March 1st, it was kind of like, I wasn't even home yet. 
and all of a sudden I get a text, got two, got three, you know, I'm like, what the hell, man? You know, but, uh, you know, so that, that was kind of the, um, you know, we just, it was kind of just a, a long shot goal. And, uh, that actually at one point in time, we're like, you know, shit, man, we could probably get this. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we topped it out with 137. Uh, there's 12 match set. Um, two of them were mule deer. And we had Jonathan one moose shed, uh, 10 elk and, uh, 17 deadheads, uh, one elk deadhead out of it. And that was within, uh, that's from March 1st to, uh, June 1st. So how many miles did you put on looking for those? Uh, so I'm not a big mile counter, but, uh, there's a few times, you know, I, I, Primarily, uh, the reason why is because I forget to turn the tracker on, honestly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but John, John was pretty good about it. And it was right before turkey season, which is April 15th. And he had, he had cleared 200 a few weeks prior. Um, I know I was putting on, uh, on the weekends, uh, anywhere between 20 to 30 miles. Um, on the weekends, I was driving out camping. Uh, you know, the dog and I would go and, um, you know, give her hell. But we kind of, you know, we're not trying to overestimate, but we're definitely upwards of, you know, 450 plus. Um, you know, that's just, uh, that's just shed hunting. Um, I, honestly, we're probably closer, you know, we're right around five, you know, if not more, but we're going to go, you know, we're going like with 450. Um, we probably both put on between 3000 to, you know, close to 4000 miles on our vehicles as well, you know, driving. And how many properties is that that you're checking out? And are you revisiting properties throughout that time? Um, I mean, like different, like different uh, public land parcels. Yeah, or like how many pieces of you know? You know. I, I couldn't. I would. I would have to go through uh, my Onyx and count shed drops. You know the pins, but um, I I only visited. Four pieces more than once, and that was primarily because I picked up a decent shed and I wanted to scout it. You know, and, and a lot of times, you know, going back through there, you'll find another one. So, um, I mean, yeah, there's there's times where you know I picked up, you know, I would pick up three, four times. I'd only pick one, but I mean, I I couldn't really tell you how many without you know really counting uh, off the top of my head, forty, fifty just by myself okay and so what tips would you have for guys like me that don't find sheds or guys that are that are trying and and the balance between you know are, are is there a different um outlook or mindset when you're looking for sheds versus looking for sign or scouting properties i mean is there things that you're looking for specifically and then do you then just walk past the deer sign or, I mean, cause I always find myself like I should probably go over there, but then there I'll find tracks in the snow and I'll just follow them that lead me in a completely different direction. And then I'll find, you know, old rubs right. and then I'm looking around for squirrel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, squirrel. Actually, that's, that's kind of the reason why I stopped the uh, turkey hunting. I, I couldn't focus on turkeys. You know, I, I'd be, I'd, I'd sit up on a turkey and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh shit! Look at that rub over there. You know, I'm looking around. I'm like, oh wait, you know, like, 
this this makes sense. This and next thing you know, I'm like, hey, I'm not turkey hunting anymore. I'm scouting. <laughs> so that's why I ended up doing that. Um, but I guess I'd say my first tip to help you guys out shed hunting would be to definitely leave Michigan and go to Montana. <laughs> <laughs> um i mean quite honestly it's, it's it's the deer numbers um here that made that you know possible there's a very high density of the you know we just don't have genetics like you know like in iowa or kansas has you know but the densities here um and you know i was the same way uh, trying to shed hunt back in new york i just couldn't because i'd end up scouting and i think a lot of that is uh, due to the fact that you're not finding any, you know, you're out there so often, you know, you rarely find a shed here or there. It's a little bit different when you start finding sheds, especially, you know, you know, you find a match and all of a sudden you, you look at one, you look up 20, 30 yards away and there's a, you know, there's another one, you know, laying there. You think you see another one and it quickly um, becomes easy to overlook signs when you when you start finding the shed you know I, I think that's probably my biggest takeaway on that um key features obviously giant you know shoulder high rugs uh big scrapes obviously stop and market you know stop mark it's always a good time to you know to grab a drink i'm one of those type of people or or a bike to eat at granola bar i'm the type of person like oh the next spot the next spot and the next thing you know i'm done shed hunting i still haven't had a, a sip of water or food you know, the whole entire you know, four or five hours I was out there. But that's, I mean, that's, you know, as far as we're out here, that's basically what, you know, it, it's come to. Um, the thick stuff, obviously thick stuff. Um, anything that's going to knock the, the antlers off the head. You know, a lot of trails, if you see trails cutting through, um, you know, from Russian Isles out here and stuff like that. You should probably get on your hands and knees and start calling through there because there's probably going to be a shed back in there. Uh, and don't get discouraged either. Um, something out here, uh, shed hunting is quite popular. Uh, there's been several times where at first I would be, you know, get down on myself or I want to bail. I mean, I'd already be a mile back in or, you know, in, you know, fully invested into this piece and all of a sudden I start running food tracks, but, um, something I started reminding myself is every year I find last year's sheds. You know, they can't find them all. I, I've even seen dog tracks, you know, now whether or not they're a shed dog or not, you know, or could it be like my dog, he just goes with me. Um, you know, people miss them, even dogs miss them. So, you know, quite honestly, you know, not, not sugarcoating it, it's, it's, it's night or day difference from, from the big hardwoods to, down here in the, in the you know these river bottoms and areas there's a lot more there's the higher number of deer and the amount of cover is concentrated more i guess that's probably what it really you know, mostly relates to and then how are you using that information like when you're outside of those obviously those big rubs or scrapes or, or things like that you know how are you when you're finding these sheds or deadheads or you know whatever um how are you using that like this year? How are you going to be? How are you using that information? Though? Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the areas, um, actually my two biggest deadheads I found were 75 yards apart from each other. And, um, like, you know, like, you know, like I was just saying, when I'm shed hunting, my focus is looking for, you know, these, you know, any glimpse of a tine sticking up out. Um, I found the one deadhead 
And, you know, I kind of glanced around like this, this kind of a, you know, a bedding area. I found the second deadhead and, you know, then I started, you know, okay, well, what's the odds, you know, rifle kill, okay, not recovered. Um, I I have a a really close buddy back home who, uh, you know, his dad shot a a deer a few years ago and that deer did a huge circle and made it all the way back around to his bed. Um, I've heard people on the beast, you know, some of the guys uh, on there, talked about how the deer will try to make it back to their bedroom um so after that second one i started really investigating and to find a couple more sheds found more beds right around there and then uh you know, that was one of the areas i visited a couple of times and then started breaking stuff down and um you know sure shit you know that's that's a that's a good bedding area rubs you know don't really start until uh, they get a little bit outside that little pocket of uh, uh russian olives but, you know, it, everything just led, you know, the signs leading up, everything's adding up to it. So, you know, as far as the deadheads, um, that particular instance, um, that's how I use them those. Some of the other ones, I mean, you find out in the middle of the field, you know, some CRP, um, stuff like that. It's really just kind of chalk it up as the winter kill. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes uh, uh, some of the antlers, um, it's... You can figure out if it's bedding or not. Um, I think it's going to be more or less that uh, most of it is going to be winter bedding as opposed to, you know, huntable bedding. So um, you know, I don't really pay much attention to that other than the fact that, okay, well, this deer is still alive. He's in the area. He's probably not going to travel too far. So this, you know, this is an area that I should probably focus on. Going back to those deadheads and that, that bedding area, Um, you know, you talk about the beast and you talk about, you know, you know, that's all bedding tactics, et cetera. Um, other than being thick and that Russian olive, were there any like terrain features or anything that kind of like set that apart or made it one of those spots where, you know, like you said earlier, but that's the way, I mean, some of the beds that I've found that I know are buck beds is exactly that. It's like, how the hell would you kill them? Was there any sort of feature there outside of just the thickness uh i mean there is kind of a moat that runs around it so i i don't i don't see it being filled year round um i'll know shortly if it is the river's flooded right now but uh, so it should have some water running through it but whether it's still filled up during hunting season or not to keep people out of there um you know i'm not sure but uh, I mean, as far as you know, train features, it's pretty flat. You know, I mean, there, there, there might be that, you know, that, you know, subtle, you know, two foot, three foot rise in there and stuff, you know, that they might, you know, be up on, which I, I've heard that, you know, they will, you know, try to get up on those rises. Um, most of the beds were just basically underneath the ponderosa pine. You know, I'm assuming, you know, the, the thermal cover, you know, throughout that winter. So, um, but there, you know, it's definitely a, a, a year round use. And, you know, I know before you were doing some video and stuff, did you guys video any of this shed hunts, shed, shed hunting, or is there anywhere we can check that out? No, uh, actually, um, I started to last year and then I, I was focused more on trying to film. So uh, I, I put the, the camera down and just I, I wanted the full entirety here and everything. I'm just trying to, you know, just enjoy everything without having to, to mess around with everything. Um, 
when we, you know, we decided to try this 100, um, you know, the goal is 100 uh, sheds. Um, it didn't have any, you know, thought that that was actually a real possible, you know, opportunity. Hindsight, I wish I would have. Um, I, I mean, I wish I would have done most of it. John, um, he has a GoPro. He could have done it that way. We could have done something. But, um, yeah, it actually made me, um, the fact that I didn't made me go out and get a new camera. So. <laughs> That's always yeah, the way so, that it goes, right? Yeah. I mean, if I'd have had the camera, I wouldn't have found, you know, I would have found three. So what, what hunts do you have coming up this year outside of, um, your, uh, you know, your quest for the 150? Well, uh, like I said, I got like 59 days from, um, from antelope season. Uh, my, you know, I, I did it last year. Um, my whole entire goal there is to sponsor. I, I'm a huge sponsor dog person. That's part of the reason why I moved out here too. Uh, to have the ability to spot and stalk. Um, so, you know, I want to spot and stalk an antelope. I, I know uh, the highest percentage to get an antelope, you know, my first antelope would probably be to sit water, but, you know, I, as much as I want to fill the tag, I want to throw it the way I want it. If that makes sense. You know, I, I want to go about it. Um, yeah, so that's for two weeks. That's August 15th until... Um, September 5th is elk and then it's uh it's straight elk um my whole entire uh season is banked around um around elk and then um that ends October 26th or 25th I believe uh and then it's a week break and then rifle season starts and that's when I'll start you know bow hunting uh whitetail and so what tips do you have for John hunting Montana for spot and stock antelope and an elk <laughs> and antelope. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so antelope, I mean, that's something that, you know, again, I just started learning and I made some, you know, some big mistakes. And, um, I think people think spot and stocks so are like, you see something, you go after it. There's a lot of patience involved. Um, a couple of the guys I, you know, I've, I've uh, talked to around here, um, Ask them about you know what I do wrong this and that. The number one thing I did wrong was I wasn't patient enough. Um, a lot of times, you know, you, you just got to kind of follow them or even not even follow them, mark them and leave, and then come back. You know, wait for them to bed, wait for them to get in a good position. Don't don't try to force uh, force the train features to work. You know, that's where that's where I failed a lot. Um, you know, on the antelope. Other than that, uh, make sure you can. Uh, Make sure you can shoot. Cause I, I should have had an antelope. I had one at uh, 62 yards, and I just I put it right under his belly. <laughs> I, I got to within 20 on one too, but those those suckers move, man. Once they see you, they don't they don't they don't slowly stand up and like wonder what the heck's going on. They're gone. Speed uh, goat. They don't call them speed goat for nothing, right? <laughs> oh man, I, I think that was like the first time I fully got to see you know one you know, reach those speeds. And I was like, and I, I, I wasn't even like, I didn't even let my draw down or like, you know, my bow down yet. And that thing was already 200 yards away. <laughs> yeah, it was just wild. Now, have you, uh, have you tried it with the, like a pop-up uh, decoy or, you know, like the, almost like yeah. leaping? Um, I, 
towards the end of uh yeah it was like the end of the um right before elk season started uh, i went and pur- purchased a, i think it's a stalker decoy it kind of goes on your bow yeah um now that one too i, I learned some uh you know some things with that one uh just because you're behind it doesn't mean that you can you know approach them uh basically what you're you know i guess you're supposed to do is kind of you try to get as close as possible and then make your appearance you know so you're so you're kind of like within their their comfort zone all of a sudden I was like oh shit who's this right. you know popped up here so um I, I made the mistake of uh um you know following you know a, a, a buck about a half a mile through a you know sage just because he wouldn't stop or he'd stop and he kind of let me get Within 80 yards, and 80 yards seems like their their comfort zone. So I get to like 80, and I can kind of gap a little bit, and let me get a little closer, and then gap away, and just want to you know commit to it. John's over here pantomiming sending one, so <laughs> he's he's yeah. He, there, it's the, the fun part about it. If there wasn't so many, um, I, I wouldn't try it. Like it, I would have two to three stalks a day. You know, so you're, you're going to have the opportunity to, it's just a matter of wait, you know, for the right opportunity to come along on right. that one. So we didn't have capitalized on it. Like I said, you know, I, I missed that 62. I, I should have capitalized on that one, but, um, you know, that's, I, I started, uh, the whole entire moving out here. Um, I, I didn't shoot like I normally do, um, you know, throughout the whole entire off season or I was, I just got into fly fishing and. I got real heavy into that. And next thing you know, it's, you know, season's here. You know, so I, I definitely chalked that one up to that when I started developing target panic on all, all sorts of fronts on there. But yeah, so that's the antelope. And then elk, um, actually, you know what? One thing, um, do you listen to the Rich podcast? Yes. So, so you're familiar with, uh, um, how he hunts. He hunts, the buffer zone, especially you know, um, you know, outstaters. Everybody fantasizes about this big backcountry hunt. You know, ten miles deep, twelve miles deep. Um, basically, what people are doing, you know, people are either hunting from the road, or they're going, you know, Past. six to ten miles back. But there's a huge buffer zone in between there that people are just walking right by. And yeah. and what you know, his his whole entire thing is. Um, you invest, you know, a whole entire day's worth of hiking to get back into your camp spot. You get back there and then you locate that bull. You blow the opportunity on that bull. That bull can be 10 miles, you know, by the next morning. And now you're left 10 miles back with nothing around. Right. You know, so, so his kind of thought, you know, is in a buffer zone. Um, and the other thing too is, uh, it seems that you know, by doing that, you can easily pack up and move, trying to find yourself more opportunity. You know, that, that's all, you know, he's, 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 he preaches kind of a little bit about, uh, you know, just trying to get as many opportunities as possible, especially for a new guy. You know, so that's something I t- I've taken, um, you know, kind of in, into my playbook. And it, it paid off last year, uh, opening day. Uh, you know, I missed one, uh, a little raghorn, uh, and then, I had one weekend that I didn't hear or see an elk all the rest of the time. Um, and I had elk bugling, saw him. Um, I had 
I got drawn back on two more and uh, I, I shoulder hit a cow on uh, the last day. And that was all just, you know, within that two to three mile buffer zone. Now, are you Not calling? Yeah, calling. Um, uh, never actually, never actually really called. So, uh, the one area, uh, that we were in, uh, reading the cow or reading how the bulls were talking, I wasn't, I was so excited, man. Um, these bulls were just bewing back at us. So we're bewing, bewing back and forth, back and forth. And, um, you know, it would, Honestly, that time frame, uh, looking back at it, um, should have just done settle cow calls. So it should have never been vehicles, uh, to these bulls. Um, they weren't in that mind frame to fight yet. They weren't fully, you know, with the hams and all that. Um, another, another instance, uh, I, I did the opposite. Uh, it was later in the season. Actually, it was in October. Um, there must have been a, a late cow and estrus. Because uh, these these bulls are fired up. Um, actually, I heard them from a distance. I, I listened to them work around a mountain, um, and I you know I doubled back. I cut them off. But um, you know, from my first mistakes, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna bugle to them. You know, um, actually, I think this is the same bull. I call him the dinosaur. He had this real raspy, and he almost like he's a smoker. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just did settle cow calls. And what I should have done, because there could have, you know, that time frame, there might have been a, a count estrus that probably would have only been one. I should have challenged him. I probably should have challenged him for that cow. And that probably would have, you know, sparked that up. But again, you know, it's my second year of, uh, you know, my first full year. You know, I've, I've only out hunted in Colorado one. I didn't know. I was so excited, um, you know, reading that. But it's, it's going to be a lot different this year. That's for sure. Cool. So, uh, I just want to go back on one thing. I, like I said, I follow you and all the stuff on social media. And I don't know if John's familiar. John's a big fishing guy. And I see you with these big ass spoonbill thingamabobs. You talk <laughs> about dinosaurs. Like, you know, you talked a little bit about the fly fishing or whatever. Like, what the hell is up with that? Like, wh- what is that fish? And like, what's the season? Is it like a, is it like our sturgeon where you get one tag and stuff like that or dino season? <laughs> um, yeah. So when I moved out here, um, I've, I've become really good friends with, uh, uh Lucas Seiko, um, and a, a, another group of, uh, guys, um, you know, basically you know, one from, uh, North Dakota, uh, or one from, yeah, well, they're both from North Dakota. Uh, you know, and then the other one's from Minnesota and, uh, you know, Wisconsin and we're all in this big group. Uh, chat. But anyways, uh, he invited us out there last year for, uh, for dino fishing. Um, he showed me these pictures and I've always been a fisherman from back home and that's the first thing I saw. And I, he showed me a picture. I think he had, it was like a 90 pounder. And I was like, I'm in, you know, 100%. Uh, so basically what they are is just, you know, it's a, it's a paddlefish. They, uh, that time frame in May, they migrate up, uh, the Missouri and, uh, the Yellowstone to breed. Uh, you know, and the only, they don't, they don't eat, take bait. They don't eat lures. They're kind of, I think they eat plankton. So the only way that you can catch them is by snagging them. So you, you put a big eight ounce weight on the bottom and you only allowed one trouble hook up top. Is that thing is like a, a zero 
treble hook or whatever, or a one knot or something like that. You put that up about uh, maybe a foot, and you just sit there and you just swing and rip all day long. It's not very fun. Um, at points, uh, your shoulders start to get worn out. You'll end up with bruises on your ribs from doing it. Um, but man, when that finally sinks into a fish, oh man, it's like, it's like the greatest feeling. You just work. Well, I can't say work this year. Actually, it was like third cast, it hooked into one this year. But most of the time, you work and you work and you work and finally hook into one of those things. They're a good fighter. They, uh, they go to the bottom. Uh, they do run a little bit, but, um, you know, they might come up and just get their head out of the water. But, uh, yeah, this is a big prehistoric fish. It's weird looking, just big. Um, so in North Dakota, normally it's, uh, you, you go there and you buy a tag. The season, uh, is kind of like a quota season, if I remember right. Uh, so they say, you know, say like there's 500, uh, tag or 500 is the quota from day one. Day one would be a, uh, keep day so it doesn't matter what size it is if you hook into one you put the tag on it and you take it to the uh um the, the fish station and it might be you know the, the next day will be a uh, release day so that day you can fish all day long catch and release catch and release catch and release and then you know it's like back and forth back and forth until the quarters hit um this year they didn't have it because of covid um but they did open up a week-long uh snag and release uh, you know week so that's what i ended up doing um you know going back over there met up with the fellows and you know it's kind of like you said you know while i camp uh you know we just kind of uh harass each other and um you know shoot the shit and uh, drink a couple of beers cook some good food and have some laughs and you know hook into a fish occasionally and it's it's a riot you know as soon as, as soon as uh you know, everybody's out at different points. We're kind of spread out, you know, probably within a couple hundred yards and everything. And all of a sudden, it sounds like Ric Flair's coming down the, uh, the, the river. Just, Woo! You know, like <laughs> someone's got one on. Everybody drops his poles and you go running over and, you know, lend a helping hand, give a high five, and get right back to it. Do you guys eat them? You can eat them. Uh, this year, you couldn't um, because you couldn't keep them. But, uh, yeah, you can eat them. Uh, I actually left last year. Uh when they cooked them up, I had to get back to Montana, but I suppose they're, you know, they're pretty good fish. Uh, the reason why uh, they keep them is they have a caviar. Mm. And I guess the caviar, um, you know, is super good and super uh, expensive. So that's how, I guess North Dakota gets the money. They, uh, the keep days, you know, they you bring them to that fish station, they'll chop them up, but they keep the caviar. Okay. Interesting. Really I, think, I think it's like a thousand dollars a pound or something like that. Kind of oh, like sturgeon. Geez. Yeah, you're talking to a couple guys from Michigan here, and uh, we, even though it's frowned upon, uh, I definitely snagged a few salmon in in my day, in my youth. Oh yeah, and it used to be we used to used be to legal, be legal um, right. long ago. But there's probably about a thousand tons of freaking lead up by Tippy Dam where where it used to be legal. <laughs> there were guys would come from Ohio, everywhere. It was like a it was dangerous. I mean, yeah. the lead flying and hooks flying, and it was elbow to elbow on each side of the banks. And, you yeah. guys have you guys have people cutting people's lines. Oh, everything. Yeah, we we had the same thing uh, in, uh, in New York, Pulaski, uh, on the Salmon River. 
same thing back in the day used to be, uh, you know, you can snag them. But yeah, I mean, you, you go to some of those popular fishing spots and you can't even see the telephone line. It's just dangling with hooks and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it used to be like that back in the, you know, everybody cutting lines, fish on and nobody cared and people were trying to get under and trying to get to the fish and people are cutting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a fiasco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, back to the bow hunting thing for a quick second. One of the questions I always ask is, uh, "What is your setup? What bow are you shooting? Arrow sight? What you what you running?" So I am still running the 2014 PSC DNA SP. Um, running that with a Spot Hog Fast Eddie, the uh, Trophy Taker Smackdown Pro, I believe, Beast Stinger. Is it 10 inch stabilizer in front with a eight side? And then I just got the day six arrows. Um, what broadheads? Actually, I think I'm going with the QAD, um, Exodus. Okay. I think my brother uh, shoots broadhead. those. What's that? I said, I'm pretty sure my brother shoots those. Um, so I've asked a couple people, um, primarily white tail hunters, you know, if they know anybody and nobody knows you know, anything about them. Like, I think I've heard of them, this and that. But you, you ask like anybody from the West. Oh yeah. You know, they're awesome. You know, I know this and that. And a lot of people you know, love them. It's kind of, it's kind of a strange thing that I've came across, you know, since I've started looking into them. Does your brother like them? Yeah. I mean, he's, um, I think the last two deer he's killed, I think he killed two deer last year with them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't didn't go far, um, but he he bounces around with a lot of different equipment, so it's 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 always kind of hard to to see. But I'm pretty sure that's what he killed those two deer with last year, with no no yeah, issue. Yeah, it's that's I'm pretty sure that's what I'm going with. I have been shooting the wasp uh, drone, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a, a fixed blade uh, game for me, especially with. Uh, you know, with the elk, um, the deadhead I found was a real eye opener too. Um, their skin is so thick. Their, their hide is just so dense. And I remember, um, actually it might have been that ranch fairy guy. <laughs> In one of his videos, whatever, he, he tries to push, um, a hypodermic through the hide. And I mean, he is like reaming on it just to get like the, the point to get through the hide. You know, whereas opposed to like, you know, he obviously preaches the double bevels and stuff like that, you know, where it's, you know, sharpened all the way up to the tip. But, um, yeah, just the bone on those things and the hide and the density, I, I can't, you know, yeah, I, I've strayed away from the, the mechanicals. That's just my opinion. I had, you know, I had hyperdermis for a long time and, um, you know, I never really had an issue with it, but, um, I just wanted to stop it before an issue happened. Cool. And I guess uh, just to close out uh, with just one last question, I guess from your experience going from East Coast to out West, um, I know that you're not a gear pixie dust type guy, um, but I, I think it bears asking like from the transition from, you know, Eastern style hunting to Western style hunting, what's been like the one piece of equipment that, you know, you don't want to skimp money on, um, or the one that's been, um, you know, the most, 
needed out there, I guess I would, and I would say, I would just challenge you to say something other than boots because boots is always the, is the, uh, it's situational type thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, I I, I got you. Um, you know, uh, I mean, there's, there's actually two things. Uh, one is the glass. Um, definitely. Right now I'm running a Leupold and that's my, my next major priority is to upgrade to a higher quality, uh, uh, glass for a little bit better low light condition. Um, back east, you don't, you know, most of my spots back home, you can't see more than, you know, 75, 100 yards to the woods. So you don't really need, you know, then as far as, uh, glass and fields and stuff, you know, most of the fields are only, you know, 100 yards wide and stuff like that. Out here, you're, you're talking, you know, you know, half mile, some of these, uh, fields and stuff like that. Um, you're just, you're using your glass way, way more out here. Um, then, you know, sorry, not the boot thing, but, uh, honestly, um, your clothing, you know, your, that having a lightweight system, um, that packs down easy that you can easily, uh, the weather changes on you so quickly out here. Um, it's phenomenal. It, it's, it's amazing. It, it, it's kind of one of the things I've come to enjoy, uh, seeing a storm come in. It's kind of like, Oh, I got this taken care of. You know, like you're not, you're not kicking me out of here today, mother nature. <laughs> um, you know, but that, that's, that's been a huge, um, you know, thing for me, uh, being able to have a, a quick light, uh, system that, can, that packs down easily. Is there any certain, uh, like clothing brand or, you know, style that you're, or even piece like, right. you know, this, you know, some people say it's this puffy jacket is the best one or, or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, the, the Calvin active jacket, uh, from Sitka that that's been, that's pretty much, um, for my style, honey. I found that I use that more than anything else. Uh, I, you know, I can run a lightweight, uh, you know, merino underneath it. And as far as, you know, if I'm not sitting and glassing, if I'm moving, that, that's, that's a good setup all the way down to like 20 degrees. If I'm moving around and stuff like that. Sweet. Awesome. Well, man, it's been great talking with you. And, and like I said, I, I've been trying to connect with you on a podcast here for, for a while now. And I'm glad we finally got to sit down and do it. And, uh, like I said, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, I try and bring people on here that I was like, man, it, it, I'm inspired by you and like, you know, just, you know, dropping everything, going out there and like chasing your dreams and do like living your life out there. And so I just think it's great, um, you know, for everybody here going out there. I mean, John says every day that I see him and when he's kicking around something he's like i'm just gonna move out west i'm just gonna move out west <laughs> you know yep my son's 16 and we're like dude why don't you go out to montana state or something dude don't have me a, give me oh, a... Man, I, I i wish i would have i wish i would have gone to college out here i had thought about it but but yeah i mean uh you know i, I greatly appreciate uh you know you asking me to come on um it's been, been a blast but if you if anybody out there you know who listens you know whatever has ever thought about doing it just do it you know, i did it um my, my roommate john did it we did it without well he had a job lined up i did it without a job lined up um the other buddy jeremy you know he 
him and his girlfriend, they just packed up and did it. It's the drive, the 24 hour drive at first was nervous. You know, like, what am I doing? I, I guarantee as soon as you get foot to where you want to go, if you're an adventurous outdoors person, the Western states, you can't beat. You know, it's 365 something to do, even when it's cold. Well, awesome, Tim. Like I say, thanks again. And I, I mean, like I said, it's it's just a great conversation. And uh, once we, uh, once John gets back from his trip out to to Montana, and uh, I get back from Colorado, we'll have to reconvene, and 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 John can tell us what what lessons he learned, right? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And if, uh, if if you need help packing a bowl out or whatever, uh, you know, friends bail out on you. Give me a holler. I might be available. All right. I'm always down for an adventure. <laughs> for sure. All right. I think that's all we got awesome. for tonight, Tim. Thanks. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks.